Welcome to the International Power Hour. This is Jean Abshire. I'm here this morning in the studio with my co-host Cliff Staten, who's actually live with us this morning. Cliff, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's nice being back on campus. Excellent. And we also have this morning as our guest, um, Dr. Victor Wenge, who uh, is a professor of chemistry here at IU Southeast. Welcome. Good morning, Vic. Thank Welcome, you. Vic. Thank you, Jean. Thank you, Cliff. Thanks for having me on the show this morning. I'm really excited to have you. So every so often, um, we do an occasional series called Our World at Home, in which we talk to somebody from um, an international background who's part of our local community. And um, Vic, we're happy to, to feature Cameroon this morning. Yeah, yeah that's, that's great. Uh, Cameroon has a lot of stuff going for it this time, so I think it's a proper time uh, to have me on set. I was watching the news, and I'm like, hmm, who can I get? <laughs> <laughs> so, you grew up in Cameroon. Yes. And how long did you, like, all through your youth up to adulthood, or how long did you live there? Yeah, very much uh, up to 27. Okay. okay. Uh, so, okay. I did my bachelor's in Cameroon before coming over to the U.S. for graduate school in 2001. Okay, excellent. And actually, we, I th- we always like to be careful about what our listeners know, and hey, we, we try to be careful about assumptions. So, why don't we start, like, super basic. We're going to ask you about about, you know, how you came to the U.S. and all that. But, um, like, where is Cameroon? (laughs) (laughs) Let me check my geography. (laughs) Hoping Uh, you can find it on a map. (laughs) Yeah, Cameroon is on the uh, central west side of Africa. So some people usually think it's a West African. Uh, Some people say it's West African country, but it's really more of a central uh, African country. Uh It's right at the left curve of the country right where some people would say the trigger point, uh-huh. little right. little triangle of a country right there, uh, border to the south by the uh, DRC, uh, Congo, uh-huh. and Central African Republic uh, to the east, and Nigeria to the northwest, and so on, so on, and Chad right up north. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. And, we appreciate the geography lesson. And Cameroon's colonial past is both French and British? Yes. Uh, in fact, that, that's the latest colonial okay. past. It starts off being Portuguese. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. Uh, that's why the name is Cameroon, which is actually an offshoot from Camaros for shrimp. I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, the, Portu- the Portuguese, yeah, okay. the Portuguese uh, navigators who went up the Gulf of Guinea yeah. into that estuary uh, found a lot of shrimps or prawns, red shrimp or, you know, red prawns. So, so the name? Hmm. They named Makes the sense. river, yeah, the river of prawns, Rio dos Camaros. Ah. And so Cameroon comes off of that and then handed that over to the Germans. The Portuguese never really colonized Cameroon. They were just merchants and, you know, navigators coming through. Shrimp the German- Exactly. The Germans were the first to actually uh, colonize uh, Cameroon. So it was spelled initially with a K. Uh, as, yeah, yeah, the Germans had a lot of other colonies in Africa back right. then, uh, and then ceded that power to the British and the French after the the wars. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Okay. So that's a lot. I mean, that's a good reminder of just how complex colonialism was and all the influences. And right. Yeah, that's um, that's a good reminder. So you've been in the U.S. a number of years. You came. You said to um, two thousand one. Yeah, I was actually oh, flying. So long. I was flying in on nine eleven. Oh. Uh, Oh, oh, is that right? Yes, that's God. right. That's right. So. Did not know that. <laughs> Did, wow. Wow, that's yeah. like a whole other yeah. conversation. That's, that's we another might have conversation. to have you back. Yes. 
that's a conversation. <laughs> I'm sure we can I've cover actually, all of this today. I've actually written a, a little bit about that story, and I'm working to see if I can get that story published. So where did of. you fly uh, into yeah. eventually? Oh, my yeah, God. So from, you, from yeah. Cameroon, I uh, flew in uh, to Paris, Charles de Gaulle, mm-hmm. and my connecting flight was supposed to be from Paris, Charles de Gaulle, right. to Chicago O'Hare. Uh, on my way to North Dakota. That's where I was going for graduate okay. school. Oh my God. Uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, what a climate change. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> From a kind of like an <laughs> oven to a, an, an icebox ice kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Wow. So right. That, that was the trip. And uh, when we got to France, we boarded a plane from Paris to Chicago three hours in, and we were asked to turn around. So the pilot just announced that, you know, we've been asked to turn around, no reason, nothing. and So no one knew really No one what knew was what going was going on. on until we were about to land in Paris. That's when they said, okay, airspace has been closed. This has happened. And everybody was going you know, crazy in the plane, and I have had no idea why. Wow. Yeah, I was just like, okay, what's going on? You know, I didn't understand anything about it until when I actually got into the country and started looking back at, and I was like, oh, okay. That's quite an an introduction to the United States. exactly. So I was in Paris for six days. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can think of worse places to spend six days. <laughs> well, yeah, but, uh, but if, you're, if, you're in Paris, if you're in Paris and you are spending those six days at the airport, it's not uh, really yeah, Paris. No, no, exactly. Yeah, because That's I didn't have a French visa, right? Oh, my So I couldn't really God. go out That's to the city. Yeah, so I was, I was stuck on the benches in the chairs. Uh, metal you know, that is a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah sure. So, but I got Tra- here. I mean, there's a movie made uh, out of that, right? <laughs> Trapped in an airport and can't get out. Yeah. Oh, there's one red, uh, I think it's by... Um, Something similar. It's uh, oh, some it's, really famous actor. Yeah, played yeah. It I'm too. forgetting his name right was now. Was it Tom Hanks? I can't. Yeah, remember. Tom Hanks. Yeah, Tom I don't Hanks. remember the yes, movie though. But same. like, he was bringing his father's ashes to the stadium or yeah, some so arena. Right. It's That's been right. years since yeah. I've seen it, but like, yeah. that always looked like hell. So yeah, <laughs> but I did get in. Wow. I got to North Dakota and I completed my graduate school. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, wow. Uh, yeah. So one of our questions is usually like, what was it like to come to the U.S.? And that's such a unique story yeah. and experience. <laughs> it's a long, it's a long story. Yeah. In itself. I, we, yes. Yeah. I think we might really have to have you back another time. I'll be take, glad to share. <laughs> to dig more into that. So, um, so maybe, maybe you could share with us maybe some of your childhood memories of Cameroon with your yeah. family and what was that like? Uh, because, you know, many of our listeners, they hear the word Africa and they, they think this huge continent and they also think it's just one big country, country. you know. Yes. And Public don't realize, service announcement. They don't realize there are so many different cultures and, yeah. and go yeah. on. So. I'm just going to state it really bluntly here. Public service announcement. Africa is a continent, not a country. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And yeah. Cameroon is one of the countries in, you know, in Africa, one of the 54, actually, uh, that, uh, that we have. So Cameroon itself, is a, it's a small country, a population of about 26 million uh, total. Um, and as you introduced at the beginning, uh, the latest, uh, you know, uh, story of colonization is... Uh, British and French. Mm-hmm. So at the national level, uh, instructionally, linguistically, the country would say it's split officially into, it's a bilingual country, mm-hmm. uh, English and French. So I come from the English-speaking part of the country, which okay. is about 20% 
of the entire country, uh, kind of the reverse of Canada, mm-hmm. right? Canada is the, the opposite of that. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but uh, beyond that linguistic split of just English and French, there is a huge diversity, uh, both in vegetation and culture and in language, which now to distinguish it from English and French, I'm going to say dialect. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. You know, and we have 400 different ethnic wow. groups in Cameroon wow. or more. And each one of them has their own distinct language. So I could be here with a Cameroonian, and if we don't speak in English or French, which are the official languages of communication you and can't instruction, we can't communicate. Right. Even That's if we are huge. like somebody from Clarksville and somebody from New Albany, you have completely different languages. Somebody from Sellersburg has a completely different language from you. So, uh, but I grew up basically in the village, so I never lived very much in the cities. Went to school uh, in the village, went out to the city pretty much just when I was going to the university. Right. Uh, Cameroon had uh, one English uh, university. One English-speaking university. university. in the country. Okay. Yeah, uh, the University of Boya. So, which was only created in 1993. So oh, wow. we were like the first, second badges of students graduating from that university with a bachelor's degree. It was a university center before specialized in linguistic uh, language translation and interpretation before they made it into a full university. So, okay. but yeah, life in the village is, is always good because as you know, uh, in the village, uh, you hear all this, uh, this statement about uh, it takes a village to raise a child, right? right? And you are only your mother's child or your parents' child when, when you're in the womb. The moment you are out and you're born and you're there, you are the child of everybody in the village. So everybody disciplines everybody. Uh, <laughs> everybody takes care of everybody. So you don't see that home worrying, where's my kid? Where's my child gone to? As long as they've done their chores. <laughs> you only worry if they have not done their chores because that's what they're interested in. What they're doing out there, you know they've been taken care of, they've been looked after, and you know, you know they'll come back home safe. So it was nice growing up in the village uh, that way. So and how big uh, was your village? My village would be, uh, my small part of it would be a village of about 6,000 people, but part of my, my entire clan of Com, uh, the, you know, my actual uh, big tribe uh, called Com uh, would be about 30,000, 40,000 people. Overall, but That's split bigger into, than I think of as a village. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but split into s- several smaller villages headed by chiefs, little chiefs, and then Kom is headed by Paramount uh, Fawn. Uh, traditionally. So that's traditional administration, which is recognized by the uh, normal, uh, the actual gov- the government of the country. So that yeah. still exists? It still exists, mm-hmm. yes. So, so we so still have kings. In queens. your village, uh, what was the major form of uh, work, employment? Uh, what did people do? Okay. In the village, most villages, most villagers will be farming. Uh, the farm coffee uh, in my area will be mostly coffee. Coffee, we'll, yeah, okay. will be beans, will be uh, uh, potatoes, you know, corn, uh, maize. Uh, but with schools and churches and uh, um, public service opportunities, then you have those that are teachers. You have priests and pastors. You have, uh, but mainly the villagers themselves would typically be farmers, cattle rearing. You know, agro pastoral uh, right. products. Right. Yes. Right. And and 
the land ownership, land tenure rights. How, can you maybe give us some insights into that? It's uh, really about who settled there first. Okay. So whoever settled there first carves out a piece of land for themselves. The government carves out a piece of land for itself, for uh, government institutions and building of offices and things like that. So there'll be public space that is controlled by the local council. Right. And then everything outside of that is owned by individuals who then sell it off or, you know, uh, kind of wheel it off to their kids or assign portions of it to their kids and wives, especially people that have, um, you know, polygamous families. Mm -hmm. Each a person that has a polygamous family would assign a piece of land to each wife for farming. And that becomes the land that will be assigned to that wife's kids okay. when they grow up. They okay. take a piece of it to build their own home or use it for whatever they want to use. And those that come later have to buy from others uh -huh. who already were there before. Yes. That's interesting. Okay. Because I, I, I study Latin America, and if you look early, you know, the impact of this agro-export model of development, yes. how that affects political systems. Right. So. Yes. So most farmlands don't really have, like, uh, land certificates. It's just, it's just known that this mm -hmm. land belongs to this person. Uh, then the councils can come later on and try to certify that and say, have a document that shows that it's your piece of land. But mostly it's just kind of like... Uh, customary trusts that everybody knows that this land came from this line of, uh, of within this the, family within line. Tribe exactly, family within or, the tribe, yeah. So it's yes. known that this land belongs to this family. Uh, there is land, generally the thought is that all land initially is royal land. So it belongs to the king. Right. And the king is the one. So anybody that got a piece of land and the one settled on it, they will go up to the palace and get ro a royal stamp, which was not like uh, any physical thing, but the royal approval that that land has been assigned to that. And so generation after generation, it just goes down through that family. But with buildings, when you now acquire a piece of land to build on, because of the uh, need to have certification in building and stuff, then you go to the ro to the local council. Then they have to now start putting, you know, uh, markers around your piece of land to show that this is yours and all of that. But before it wasn't like that. So there is a lot of land that people own that they don't actually have any specific documentation to right. show that they own it. But everybody in the village is documentation for them. Yeah to show that they own that piece of land, yes. I spent part of a summer in parts of Africa. I was in South Africa, Malawi, Zimbabwe, Zaire. And one of the things I really enjoyed in the villages were all the markets. Mm -hmm. You can yes. talk to people, get to know yes. them. It's kind of a center of life. Yes. So we have, we have uh, commercial areas where... Um, you have stores and grocery stores and everything, you know, shops where people will go normally. So those places are usually busy, but those commercial areas are usually, they usually enclose an actual open space that right. is called a market right. that is uh, scheduled to have a specific day a week that is actually called a market day. Mm -hmm. So even though it's busy, pretty much day in, day out, because of all the other stores and shops and people selling, there is one day where people come from all over and the whole place is 
booming. It's yes. packed. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what is called the market day, and it is picked in every village or every local based on uh, traditional custom. About we have eight days in our week. Ah. Right. So we our tradition has an eight day week. Okay. Yes. How's that work out? Exactly. <laughs> so it rotates. That's, That's why. Yeah. Okay. It, it's 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 a rotating week. So the the awesome. the you begin with a particular day and then they assign the days round eight and then start again. And within those eight days of the week, there are like two two holidays. One intended to be like a Sunday. And one intended to be like a memorial day for all the people that fought the, you know, the wars back in the German colonization times. And so it's some sort of a memorial day. So those days are honored. People and that's don't, every week. Yes. People don't, people don't go to the farm. So there is no farming on that day. There is no death celebration. There is no pad, nothing. It's just a day for people to stay home and just be in their villages with family. And that's every week. So we call them the traditional Sundays uh, in our everyday week. Yeah. I love how, because I mean, you know, we don't give any thoughts to a seven day week, right? Um, and I love having those assumptions challenged. <laughs> like, not everybody does things even as, you know, quote unquote, basic as a calendar the same. Yeah. That's terrific. Well, I, I, perhaps uh, when Cameroon became independent, okay, and again, I'm not an expert on African politics, but. I do know during the independence era, many of the <laughs> these countries, there were kind of nationalist heroes that led the independence mm-hmm. movement. And a lot of them, unfortunately, after that became power hungry themselves and corrupt. Could you perhaps talk a little bit about a little bit about that process in Cameroon and maybe how that reflects the English French differences? Yes. Um now, I would say Cameroon might be one of those countries that never really had to fight okay. through civil war or, you know, a war to, independence. to gain independence. Uh, but maybe the fights that were happening around the other areas kind of like pushed the independence agenda right. uh, for the UN, okay. uh, having been transferred from a League of Nations uh, mandate, uh, mandate right. uh, into a UN trusteeship. Uh, with the purpose, I think that was a trusteeship purpose. The was idea to, would be eventually exactly you would gain independence. independence right. Kind of correct. Uh, yes. But yes. so I think the other countries around pushed that agenda a little faster by the the fight that they had. That Cameroon didn't didn't really need to actually fight it as much. There were some fights, uh, especially in the French part of the country. Uh, there were definitely fights over there. Uh, some Makiza groups, you know, rebel groups pushing the agenda for independence. And so French Cameroon got their independence in 1960. Most right. African countries right. got their independence late 50s, around the yeah, late 50s. 50s yes. early 60s. Huge decolonization yes. move. Correct. Um, the English speaking part, which was administered by the British alongside Nigeria, Nigeria got their own independence as well in 1960, right? And in, uh, in uh, October, sometime in October. Now, the English part of Cameroon, which had been administered alongside Nigeria, remained under the trusteeship, uh, under the uh, administration of the British. And so the British were looking to then afford independence. Uh, But I think something went wrong because the form of independence that they afforded the British uh, Southern Cameroons, as was called, was that they gave them a choice. They, They had to pick. They were not given the option 
to ascend to full independence as a country on their own. They were forced to pick either to gain independence by joining Nigeria, which was already an independent country, okay. or joining La République du Cameroon, which was an independent country. That was a French part of Cameroon that had gained independence earlier in January. So, so yeah, independence for the Anglophile part of Cameroon, exactly. not on the table. Exactly. So actual independence, ascending to a country of your, of your own, was not on the table. So they held a plebiscite in 11 Feb, 11th of February, 1961. And the plebiscite was a vote on that side of the country. Do Which, you guys... Become part of Nigeria, yeah, become exactly. part of uh, French Cameroon. Do you Cameroon. want to become part of Nigeria or do you want to become part of French Cameroon? And the citizens at the time figured they didn't want to be part of Nigeria. They had already walked out of the Nigerian assembly because they were angry with the way things were going. Mm -hmm. And so they had walked out back to Boya to restore their own ability to self-govern. And that was respected from 1957 up till 1960. So for three years, they had been preparing themselves to self-govern. So, but the plebiscite question forced them to choose between either going back and being part of Nigeria, kind of like maybe a state within Ni Nigerian within Federation, Nigeria. mm -hmm. or linking up with their former brothers, Cameroon. And they decided by vote that I think it was better to join back with French Cameroon and be back one country as it was before before the partitioning. And it was the UN or the international community through the UN who forced that. Exactly. Who defined the choice. Yes, who defined the choice. So the, the, the question for the plebiscite was set by the UN uh, Council and sent an administrator to administer the vote, get the results, and bring them back. So those results came back. The people had overwhelmingly voted to join the La République de Cameroon. Uh, but the conditions for joining were not prescribed in the vote. What form of government was going to be respectful of the diversity that had been created by the split? And so the people at the time figured that the best form of government that will respect this diversity and difference in culture, the English form of education is different from the French form of education. Yes, the is. English form of law is different from the French yes, yes. form yes, of law, civil law, common law, all yeah. those differences. And so there was need to come up with a structure that would respect that diversity. And at that point, it emerged that a federation, a federal would government would be best in which the individual states, La République du Cameroon, will become a state, will relinquish their independent status as a country, become East Cameroon, so change your name from La République du Cameroon, become East Cameroon. British Southern Cameroons will lose its identity as an independent self-governing entity and become West Cameroon. And the two will become part of a unit that will be referred to as the Federal Republic of Cameroon. And that's what was set up in 1961, in October of 1961, right? But that's not what obtains today, and that's where the problem is. Okay. Yes. Okay. Looking at the clock, I think that is actually a really good stopping point. So we will take a couple of minutes of break and then pick up where we are today. Right. Um, the International Power Hour will be right back. Imagine being fired because of who you love. Imagine being denied medical treatment because of who you marry. Imagine being evicted 
because of who you are. Millions of Americans don't have to imagine this. They have to live it. Because in 31 states, it's legal to discriminate against LGBT people. Get the facts at beyondido.org. Brought to you by the Gill Foundation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the International Power Hour. This is Jean Abshire. I'm here in um, the studio this morning with my co-host Cliff Staten and our guest, Dr. Victor Wenga, uh, who is from Cameroon originally. We're doing an Our World at Home uh, episode, and we've been talking about Vic's experiences growing up and also a lot about the colonial implications of uh, on Cameroon today. Yeah, the um, current government. Yeah. The, yeah, the divisions between um, French-speaking and uh, Francophone Cameroon and, and Anglophone English speaking. Um, and Vic, you were um, right at the, as we were ending, um, you, you were talking about how it led to a federal system um, or at independence, sorry, uh, there was a federal system uh, established, but that's not what we have today. I mean, that was like the last thing you said. Exactly. Yeah. So um, what we do have today, that change I know has led to some civil conflict. So could you describe for us what has happened with the governing system since that federal um, system broke down, and then you know what the what the problems are today. Okay, so um, yeah, so the the federal system that was instituted at reunification in 1961 uh, existed and fared pretty well until 1972, and in 1972 the French-dominated government decided it was time to do away with the federal system of government and instituted a unitary uh, okay. state. And so the, the centralized power. Exactly, centralized okay. power. So the position of where the English Cameroon had its own assembly, it had a prime minister elected from that assembly, it had a house of chiefs, that was, you know, the governing uh, powers in the English Cameroon, those were all abolished in, in preference of a central system in which, yes, one Anglophone was appointed to high level of government, but really they were an appointee of the uh, um, president rather than an elected official who was answerable to his people. Right. And so that was the beginning of the problem. So we went from a Federal Republic of Cameroon to a united Republic of Cameroon. Well, people thought at least it's still recognizing the fact that it's a united country, meaning that there is at least within that the understanding that there are two peoples here yeah. that came together. Giving a nod exactly, at least to the at difference. Least to the difference. nothing else symbolic. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And then in 1984, the name was completely changed back to the Republic of Cameroon, La République du Cameroon, which is the name that the French-speaking part of the country had at independence. So Anglophones have felt that for the past 50-something years, past 30, uh, 47 years, that their culture has been gradually, gradually assimilated, destabilized, broken down, and completely wiped off the Cameroon story. And that's what has led to the problems today where Anglophones, Anglophone Cameroonians believe, we believe that our culture has been totally disseminated. Our uh, educational system has been totally disseminated. When you have French teachers teaching in English schools and teaching things that they learned in a French system that don't necessarily match with what 
we do in the English system, the credit system of assigning grades. They are uh, familiar with the average system, YN, you know, out of 20, you get 12 out of 20 instead of the great, the great system that we have. You have English, uh, French lawyers and judges sitting in courts in the English part of the Cameroon and judging cases against farmers that can barely speak English, right? right. And right. represented by English lawyers. So the English lawyers have to present the case of their clients or their in French to a French judge in a court that is situated in an English part of the country. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't make sense to us Anglophones. And for years and years, there's been agitation. There's been fights. There's been civil disobedience and strikes and sit downs to try to force the hand of the government to do something about recognizing this diversity. So back in 1993, all Anglophones came together, had conferences with amongst themselves to write out a proposal to give the government to say, look, we need you to get back to a point where the English system, the English culture is being respected in this country because that's what was the case when we came together. Short story, forcing the government, the government eventually kind of succumbed a little bit and came up with what they call a decentralization. So a new constitution was written in 1996 to prescribe a decentralized government where some power was being ceded back to the localities, where the localities will have the opportunity to elect their own governors rather than have them appointed by uh, the government and so on and so forth. But it's been, uh, what, uh, 1996 to today, Mm -hmm. and that constitution has never been implemented. So Mm -hmm. even though people were not happy with the uh, content of that constitution in 1996, they were at least okay that it was beginning to sit some power. Right. And that over time, gradually, eventually, step by step as a process, power will eventually get back to the people. But if for 20-something years that constitution was never implemented, even that one, which people did not like back in 1996, mm-hmm. you can imagine what people are thinking today. Yeah. So... The fight has been that Anglophones came out, the lawyers came out in 2016 to protest against the fact that they had to defend cases in Anglophone courts against French judges. Teachers came out to demonstrate that they were not happy that they had their kids and, you know, that they were teaching in a system where a lot of other teachers were francophones that were not qualified to teach in those schools. And parents saw with these groups of people and decided to support them in those sit-down peaceful strikes. The government came out heavy-handed with live bullets, with yeah. batons, and beat people, lawyers and teachers. And, and so the situation aggravated and kind of like just blew up from there to what it is today, a full-blown war between movements in the Anglophone section of the country and uh, the military groups that are representing the government. So, so the, the peaceful opposition among the Anglo- Anglos in Cameroon was primarily within their district, within yes. that? It yes. wasn't in the French area. It, it never went to the French area. Okay. It was just lawyers coming out in their robes, right. marching on the streets to tell the government, look, enough is enough. We have these nine points we would like you to address. 
teachers coming, sit, taking a sit-down strike, not to go to work, to just say, we are not going to go to work you know, for one week to force the government to take a look at these things that the teachers' union has sat together and looked at. And instead of creating a committee to review those things and try to fix them, the government decided to retaliate. So the, the violence took place in uh, the English part of the country. Yes. Cameroon. So all of the violence, even now, is only in the English-speaking okay. part of the Cam- okay. country. If you go to Cameroon now and you end up in Douala or in Yaoundé, you will never know that there is any problem in the country. Right. But you wouldn't be able to go to Bamenda. You wouldn't be able to go to Boya, any of those places in the English-speaking part of the country, because that's where the, because in the in the English part of the country there are two schools of thought. There are those who now believe that a complete separation yeah, from <laughs> Cameroon yep. is the only solution. A separatist movement. Yes, a separatist yeah. movement. They believe that the French-dominated government has shown over the last many many years that they cannot honor the diversity that is inherent in the country and that the only way for the anglophones to see the light of day and progress the way they're supposed to and have their culture reinstated and respected and so on is a complete separation back to an independent country and then there are those and i seem to fall in that particular group that wants a restoration of the original status of the country where the English culture is respected in the English part of the country, where we design our own educational system based on our background as Anglophones, our legal system. And if there is anybody else that likes that system and wants to carry it over to their own part of the country, they can do that. But that we want to be able to manage our own resources. We want to be able to take control of our administration, uh, natural resources, um, and uh, uh, financial and everything, right? So those are the two schools of thought. But the separatist movements are the ones that are heavy-handed because they picked up arms in response to the government's heavy-handedness. They also picked up arms and said, we're going to defend ourselves. We are not going to allow you to come in here and just shoot people, kill children, burn villages. And they picked up arms and they're being supported by other Cameroonians and Anglophones that are outside of the country in the U.S., in Europe, and say, make sure you continue to make it ungovernable for the government so that they will have to succumb either through some kind of negotiated uh, settlement or give something that is uh, reasonably acceptable to the Anglophone community. And since the protests started in 2016, there have been thousands of people killed, right? Yes. Yeah. About, I would say, not less than 3,000, 4,000 people have been killed, Um, hundreds of thousands displaced out of their villages to the French-speaking part of the country, where they are now essentially being exploited in terms of cost of education, cost of living. You know, people that were barely surviving in their village in order to continue to go to school because there have been no schools in the English-speaking part of the country for three years now, since 2016, because of the fighting that is going on. Sometimes it's enforced by the fact that the military comes in and shoots without care, and so everybody's at risk, but sometimes it's enforced by the fact that the separatists feel that it's a good tool for them right. to continue to pressure the government by insisting that students should not go to school. So they terrorize teachers, they terrorize students who want to go to school, and so they keep the place completely blank. So everybody who is interested to go to school and can afford it is out of the place. So our villages are now pretty much 
empty or inhabited by just the older the older people right. uh, who have nowhere else to go. Yeah. Many in prison too, right? Yes, uh, some of the leaders the leaders uh, of the separatist uh, movement uh, are currently in prison. Uh, they were captured. They were out in Nigeria. And they were, I think, captured from there, and they've been in prison since 2017 and now. And part of the fight is that all of these people should be released. Uh, there are other people in prison that were simply arrested as a result of the strikes that were going on, which were supposed to be peaceful movements. Yeah, normally you would arrest people for, you know, inciting uh, violence sure. in the streets and stuff. Yeah. But the hope will usually be that if that's all they were doing, they were demonstrating on the street, they'll be released after a day or two or three. But they have been in there now for years. And every time they take them to the court, they will postpone the, the court session. They'll take them in today and then they'll postpone the court session and they keep staying there. And third, they've been taken to a military tribunal. They're not taken to a regular, so so it's like yeah, they've been accused of treasonous type of crimes and things like that for coming out with peace plans and marching the streets, and simply because the government said it's disorderly that you were not authorized to march on the streets, so public demonstrations are kind of like a taboo in a sense. Then uh, in Cameroon, that's the the whole the whole issue. That's what's going on now. You still have family there, I assume. Yes. Um, so have they had to flee their homes or are they still in the area? Would you want to share a little bit? Yeah, all of my, my younger brothers and sisters that are back in Cameroon are out of the village. So the only people uh, that are in the village in my home right now is my mom and dad. And that's why, wow. you know, I, I spend sleepless nights all the time yeah. checking in on them to make sure that they're okay. Uh, because last year, my dad was actually, uh, uh, you know, pulled out of his home by some of the armed separatists and taken away for a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that was traumatizing because he used to be a, um, a politician. He used to be a congress. Yeah, he used to be a congressperson. And a congressperson back then, there was only one party in Cameroon. So he was with the ruling party, uh-huh. which everybody detests. Everybody, there's nobody that likes the current ruling party in Cameroon that has been ruling for the past 30-something uh, years, right? Yeah. So people see him from a political standpoint as somebody who is enabling of, the government, yeah, yeah the who is system. enabling of the system. Uh, but wow. uh, it is clear uh, that most of those that actually know him from the village and from around know that he's more than that. Yeah. And I think... Partly that was um, uh, responsible for him coming back, uh, maybe broken and stuff, but safe. So he was returned, uh, you know. So partly I think that kind of saved him because he's a person of the people. He's a person in the community that is kind of like uh, respected uh, so to there, some extent. So there was pressure then for them to actually release him after a week. Yeah, I think, I don't know if pressure, i sure there was pressure coming from yeah. all directions, not necessarily not from the government. Of course, the government puts right. its uh, voice into that, it just becomes a problem. But I think the people in the village, the, 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 the leadership around town, both on the separatist side and non-separatist side, would have seen that maybe he's not uh, such a person you know, to be put under those conditions. That's my hope uh, that that was the yeah. case, uh, that they would have seen him as not one of those that, uh, yeah, he might have been in government, he might have been in the uh, ruling party, but at 73 now, he's not involved in politics anymore. He's, right. not, he's not doing it uh, actively anymore. And he's somebody that takes things the way they come. 
And so I'm sure that that probably kind of, uh, they gave him a, a, maybe a stern warning. I don't know what they told him exactly, but they would have probably told him, don't get involved <laughs> too much uh, into it. So they are the ones that are at home right now. Most of my younger people that are supposed to be in school cannot go to school. So we've tried to get them out of the village to a place where they can continue to go to school. Uh, so my dad and my mom are back in the village pretty much by themselves. Yeah. Wow. That's, I can't that imagine sounds terrifying. That. I can't imagine. Yeah, it yeah. is. Very terrifying. It is. Yeah. yeah. It I is. mean, kidnapped by armed separatists is not uh, something I would wish yeah. for anybody. Yeah. Anything can happen at any time because you never know what the government will do wrong or what will happen the next day wrong that uh, uh, the guys will get angry and decide to, you know, to act uh, on their, because it's been, it's been brutal on both sides. The government is doing committing atrocities, burning down full villages, shooting at random, killing kids and, you know, adults and women. And some of the armed separatists are doing the same. Now, ultimately, in the end, uh, it turns out that in every group, there are always going to be people that do things outside of what yeah. the norm is. Sure. So True. no one can fault all of the armed uh, groups because some of the armed groups are more deliberate. They are more uh, considerate of what is going on of the people Just and their attention is towards the military to ensure that the military is not coming in and causing atrocities in the village. But there are others that are taking advantage of the situation and running you know, amok and doing things that are not within the bounds of uh, of the struggle itself, and those are the ones that it's uh, it's difficult to control. Right. Even people on yeah. the separatist side find it difficult to control groups like that. And sure. I think that's the big problem now in Cameroon. That for the first time, people are now able to move in the streets with guns, with no control, yeah. with no law, uh, with yeah. nothing that guides them as to how and when you use the gun. And I think it's the biggest fallout from this war. That's what it's going to be because it's going to be difficult to change that. Yeah, yeah. that's lawlessness. Yeah, Cameroon was a very peaceful, one of the most peaceful parts right. of, yeah. of the Africa. Mm -hmm. yes. yeah. So I think this is destroying that. And I don't know how we would do to get it back even when the war ends, but mm -hmm. that's going to be a big struggle to kind of get back to that point. Wow. Yeah. So you sound not very hopeful, at least in the short run. Uh, as it stands right now, they just had the national dialogue. Maybe yeah. we'll be talking about that right. shortly. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they just had the national dialogue. Right. And when we explore that, we'll see whether it's something that might help uh, when we get to talk about that. Okay. Let's take a real quick break again. Um, the International Power Hour will be right back. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. One place on a cold day. I want to be a bike that races around the country. I want to be a bench on a forest trail. When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. Brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food, because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, and, of course, companionship. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive, and now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance will come in with this group. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. What if you were wearing something sexy? What if you were drinking? What if you made the first move? No matter what, sexual assault is never your fault. Support is available 24-7 through the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Call 1-800-656-HOPE or visit RAIN.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. This is Christina Ricci with RAIN, reminding you, it's never your fault. Brought to you by RAIN and this station. Welcome back to the International Power Hour. This is Jean Abshire. I'm here with my co-host Cliff Staten, and we have with us this morning our guest, Dr. Victor Wenge. Uh, We're talking about um, his experiences growing up in Cameroon and and political drama in Cameroon, um, the civil conflict there that's been going on. Um, Vic, when we ended, we mentioned, or you mentioned the National Dialogue. So this is a peace initiative um, to try to end the conflict that's been going on since 2016. Um, Could you just get, tell us a little bit about what happened with that? I, I know that there were some like yes. gestures that seemed to have come out of it. Uh, we, we are still waiting to to, to see or hear uh, what the concrete uh, measures yeah. were that came out and whether or not they'll be implemented. Uh, but a lot of people uh, don't seem to think that it was uh, fruitful, that it was useful, uh, beginning with the convening of it. It's something that everybody has been calling for for the past three years, that a national dialogue is required. Uh, national in the sense that you cannot fix what is uh the problem with the Anglophone part of the country without involving the rest of the country. Right. Yeah. Because if we are going to go back to the federal structure, it will involve the rest of the country. You cannot do that for one segment of the country. So the idea was to get a national dialogue where all of this will be discussed. Um, and the president, after three years, eventually on September 10th, gave a speech in which he announced the national dialogue. And everybody was happy but not fully convinced because he said on September 10th that you're calling a national dialogue to begin end of September. So that was September 30th Mm -hmm. through the 4th, a one-week national dialogue. So you're announcing it on the 10th. You have it starting on the 30th. So that's a two-week yeah, there's not much time. Uh, there's not much time for us to plan, Preference. and we're thinking in a, in a. So we, I accepted it because I thought, at the very least, the fact that it has been announced will give room for some tensions to cool down a little bit. First expectation will be from the government side, kind of tell your military to kind of cool down a little bit. Yeah you are going into a peace session, kind of a ceasefire, declare some kind of ceasefire for a moment, but that was never really done. So a lot of people feel that um, it was a show. So until the government actually acts on some of the resolutions, whatever resolutions uh, came out of it, then we'll begin to see if there's a way forward. Because a lot of people think that it didn't follow the right uh, the right path. Uh, initially, you would think that a dialogue like this will begin with local dialogue. 
right. at the local level, all the stakeholders, the fighters at the local level with the middle people, the moderates at the local level will talk together, see what it is that they're looking for, what they're willing to give, what they're willing to take, take that to a regional level, right. yeah. and then eventually take that to a national level. But the way this one came, came from the top national, down. from the top, down. top down. down. Exactly. And it is exactly that top-down approach that people are really, the, really dissatisfied. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the problem. Because people that are, I, I got an invitation. Yes, oh. I got an invitation to the national dialogue. I, I I couldn't go, but I got an invitation, and I would I would be thinking to myself, uh, like most of those that went, I will go there and represent a view that a lot of people have, but I will not necessarily be representing those people, because right. I got an invitation as an individual. So even though any view that I propose, any view that I have, will represent a view that so many other people have, I am not actually talking on their behalf, because they didn't send me there. Right? But normally, if you started from yeah. the grassroots and you have this dialogue at local level and then up, then people select people to go and espouse that view. Then they select people to go and espouse that view. Then whoever is actually at the national dialogue table eventually is then actually Can not only exactly. You are not actually speaking yeah. an opinion. You are actually speaking for the right. people. The, and the difference between rep actual representation, representation exactly, and right. just getting input e from Exactly. Elites, so yeah. I think that's part of the problem with this, but people will still be happy if resolutions that come out of it are representative of the ideas that people on the ground are thinking, and if those resolutions actually get implemented. Because as I indicated earlier, we had a, uh, uh, a constitution in 1996 mm -hmm. that has not been implemented up to right. date. And if aspects of that constitution had been implemented, things might have been a little different. I thought I heard something that an offer had been extended or maybe it was just expected to be extended of reverting to the old name of the United Republic of Cameroon as a symbolic thing. Is that, did I read that correctly or? Uh, I have not read the resolutions okay. yet, so I don't okay. know if that is uh, uh, actually one of the points that is in there. I do know that there's been talk of giving the Northwest and Southwest regions of the country, the Anglophone, some special status, mm -hmm. uh, which is currently prescribed within the current constitution. Uh, but people really don't understand what that special status what affords, does that mean what it means yeah. Yeah. because there's no prescription how much authority do you really exactly. have over yeah. matters within correct. within the within the region correct and, and whether or not if if the if if it comes with some level of autonomy yeah. can you have autonomy to one section of a country within a centralized government it yeah. would look a little confusing to implement so those are things that will need to be worked out wow that's a lot <laughs> It is. Um, it is a classic political struggles sure uh, in many ways. Yeah. Uh, so, so you obviously have still have close ties to Cameroon. If you were invited yourself to the national dialogue, and during the break you mentioned having connections to, um, you know, other people not in the government um, that our listeners didn't get to hear. Um, can you tell us a little bit about? Um, so I guess the the Cameroonian community is is there a Cameroonian community in, in the Louisville area? Yes. Are you part of? Are you connected here too, as well as there? Yes. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? We have a, a big Cameroonian community uh, in the Louisville area. It is called Kamkenya, uh, Cameroonians of Kentucky and Indiana. That <laughs> that covers <laughs> that covers uh, southern the southern Indiana. I love Kentucky, that. <laughs> Kentucky, so Kamkenya, and uh, yeah. So we uh, usually the group meets. 
uh, on a monthly basis. It is hosted at the home of one of the members, and okay. you know, Excellent. just uh, and uh, part of the uh, role is get together, you know, talk together, but also sometimes raise funds to support initiatives back home, like scholarships for kids in school and 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 development initiatives and things like so that. So the local group is primarily on. Uh, Ang- Anglophone? It's a mix. Yes, we do have we do have francophones. Okay. Yeah, we have francophones, but of course the uh, the current struggle has uh, created some Divis- you know some yeah. some divisions right. with, because you know people in there that have no clue what is going on, and then there are people in there that are on the separatist side of things, and then there are people that are on the federalist side of things. So they're bound to be disagreements every now and then. Yeah. But. Um, we continue to find a way to... Uh, so are to, your to discussions solve. lively then? <laughs> they are lively, sometimes contentious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As well. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's some exchanges actually go beyond what they're supposed to be, but that's that's expected in every family. Uh, well, yeah, when sticks. some people think that some people mm-hmm. don't understand, that others don't understand truly what, you know, like francophones will know that there's a problem. But really, they have no idea the impact because yeah. they don't. Their families are not feeling it. Sure, uh, sure. You know, but That's so right. yeah, and some of us who are really feeling the pinch of it, uh, people who have lost uh, family, people who have yeah. lost homes that have been burned down, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Uh, it's yeah. So sometimes it gets uh, uh, crazy, but. You so know, you meet it at way. people's houses then? Yeah, so we rotate. So normally there's a, a schedule. share traditional nice. Cameroon, yes, Cameroon dishes. dishes food. Yes. Uh-huh. So once a month we get to oh, eat traditional uh, dishes. And is shrimp a part of that cuisine? <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the very beginning with the name of Cameroon. So, yeah. Is shrimp a big deal? <laughs> <laughs> so we try to, you know, to have a, a, a very diverse uh, cuisine at uh, many of those meetings. Yeah. And so that's what happens amongst us. But also... Respect to the community. We try to go out sometimes, you know, participate uh, the welfare. Welfare, yes. Mm-hmm. So we've participated in that, the welfare a few years. I've led a dance group there. So if you go oh, cool. to uh, the welfare uh, site or just Google welfare Cameroon, you'll probably see me in some pictures, right? Leading Note a dance, leading a dance group. <laughs> Lead, I will be good. Leading that. a dance group on there. Uh, but yeah, so we 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 try Frankfurt, Lexington also has uh, Cameroonian okay. groups over there. So sometimes we play soccer games uh, between ourselves. Yeah. So how, how many Cameroonians are there in, in like Metro Louisville? Do you know? I mean, obviously there's, there's a group. How many How many are in the group? I would say th- there are many. Some are not, like every group, not every person participates right. you know, full course. time. I would say about uh, 30 would participate on a regular basis, uh-huh. but they're close to maybe 60, 70 Cameroonians right okay. uh, right in the Louisville. That's a solid area. group. Yeah, so it's a solid, a solid group. Well, any, is... any of your relatives here? My sister is with me. Okay. Oh, excellent. Uh, yes, she's uh, doing nursing at Ivy Tech. Oh, that's okay. wonderful. Yeah. I have a brother in, uh, in uh, Seattle. Okay. He works for Amazon. He's a business administrator. And I have another sister in Minneapolis. Okay. Yeah. So some, oh, that's nice. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's there are eight of have... us. I'm the first in a family of eight. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> given that you, because also uh, during the break you mentioned, and, and our listeners wouldn't have been able to hear that, you haven't been able to go back to Cameroon in several yeah. years. So it's yeah. nice that you Three do years. have family yeah. here. Right. 
Yeah. Three years. It's, it's, it's difficult not to go, but uh, I can't go and not go to the village. And so if I go to Cameroon and end up in Yaoundé or Douala, it's like I've not gone anywhere. So yeah. I, I'd rather just stay. Yeah, not wait. even worth going. Yeah, it's not worth paying yeah. $2,000 would be the cheap would be right. flight to Cameroon just to not go to the village and meet grandparents or, yeah. you know, aunts and parents. Yeah. So that's part of the loss yeah. of not being able to travel back home. Well, this is a um, a, a really um, vivid example. I was going to say an excellent example, but that doesn't feel right because there's clearly a lot of pain and loss here. But a really vivid example of um, you know how events far away can fundamentally affect people in our community and how um, politics very much shapes the lives of people all exactly. over, and yeah. even non-Cameroonians. Because right. uh, you, you know you wonder what does it matter to Americans or other people, and it matters a lot, right? First of all, I mean just global awareness uh, is a big thing, but also you do travel. Right, you have military, you have mis- you have missionaries, mm-hmm. you have peace corps, sure. you know that uh, go out to these places, and it's important to know uh, what is going on in in places like this, so that you make reasonable, you are informed, you make reasonable choices, you know how to navigate. Uh, one of the sad things that happened last year was a missionary from Indiana who got caught in the middle of this war in Bamenda. Oh, yes. uh, you know, a pastor, a reverend. Uh, I think it was uh, Charles Wesco from uh, Northern Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a brother to House Representative Tim Tim uh, Wesco. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So the so missionary took his family to Cameroon, went to to Bamenda, and was caught in the middle of the fight, and uh, uh, you know a bullet uh, hit him, um, and he he died. So yeah. that's a sad you know, uh, thing like that to happen in a place that was always usually very friendly and peaceful and missionaries go there all the time and they like it because Cameroon is referred to in Africa as Africa in miniature. A one-stop place where you can get to see all the different cultures and vegetations of Africa. You want the forest in the east, you have it there in Cameroon, you want the desert side up north, you want, you have the safari, you have it right there, you want diversity of culture, you have it right there. So one's place to go and experience all of these different things, and suddenly right now it's in this turmoil, and so people have to be looking for different places. So I think it's important to be uh, aware of uh, you know the world and things that are happening in different places, just for information purposes. Yeah, that makes me want to go. Victor, <laughs> thank you so yeah, very much. Yeah, this has it. been just it. a fascinating discussion and very informative, and, and really wonderful to get to know you better. No, thank you. So. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to. Uh, to be on the show this morning. Me too. Uh, to our listeners, thank you for listening this morning to the International Power Hour. Uh, check our Facebook page to find out our topic for next week. Uh, this is the um, Horizon Radio, the student voice of Indiana University Southeast. Thank you for listening.